Hey guys, Brandy Kelly here. Welcome back to the Sober Bartender Podcast, the show where we recover from life. So one of the best things about being a bartender, especially when I was a bartender in Vegas, is that I get to meet so many people and a lot of them don't live in Vegas. They weren't in my immediate, you know, friend circle, but we like we meet and we connect and then, you know, you become friends on Facebook and you stay in each other's lives. So my next guest is Rachel Kemplin, and she is one of those people to where, you know, we just happened to cross paths and we stayed in each other's lives. And today we get to uh, sit down and talk to her. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Hi. Hi. So I don't even remember exactly how we met. I'm pretty sure it was when you were going through a tough time. I reached out. It was when your father had passed, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we knew each other in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were um, you came in and out of Mulligans uh, uh, pretty frequently, and my mom and dad that was their regular hangout. And yeah, we I had a bunch of losses right there in a row, and I believe that we re- reconnected after my father passed, just on Facebook or something, mm-hmm. and kind of just followed each other a little bit, and then. I heard your story and realized that you and I were going through pretty much the same thing mm-hmm. and felt like it was important for us to talk. And um, I think then you reached back out to me and yeah. asked me to, to share. So that's how we know each other. Yeah. And so w- during that time where I was, uh, I was engaged to the manager at Mulligan's, that was towards the end of my drinking. So I like, I know that I, you know, I have pieces of my memory, but there's so much that's a blur. Yeah. I'm like, I vaguely remember X, Y, Z, but I don't have all the pieces. So I kind of rely on other people's recollection too. (laughs) I, I found that that is a common occurrence in my life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The little, yeah. Little blank spots in my brain. A little bit scary. Yeah. So Rachel, you now have a a whole lot going on and I feel like it's a really personal thing that you're experiencing. So the fact that you're willing to come on here and talk to us about it is, is really incredible. Just you're willing to get vulnerable because I do feel like people need to hear what you've got going on. And I don't know all the details I've just seen on Facebook. So can you let us know where you're at in life right now? Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, I am, I'll have seven months of sobriety under my belt on the 15th of February. Congratulations. So, yeah, thank you. It feels really great. Uh, I didn't realize uh, that it would be, that it would feel so good. But the downside is that, unfortunately, I drank myself to death. I am uh, end stage liver disease. I have alcoholic cirrhosis and I also have developed liver cancer uh, along with it. And obviously it's been a really uh, rude awakening, a very challenging time of my life. I have, I have two children. I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old. And that's the part that's the hardest um, is just thinking about leaving them and the legacy that I'll leave them. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I might. So just sorry in advance. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've been battling. 
this is not a hickey on my neck. This is uh, a bruise from a procedure I just had done. I've had two, two outpatient surgeries in the last two weeks. I am currently finishing up, finished up all of my testing for a new liver for a liver transplant. And I hear on Wednesday, whether or not I have, I'm getting on the list. It's the only cure for what I have. Um, a new liver is a new liver. It's the only cure. I mean, fortunately, and, and I hate to say this, but it's true is that I'm, I'm young enough and healthy enough otherwise that my body is not broken down in other areas. So my heart's strong enough. My kidneys are strong enough. My lungs are strong enough in, in order for me to, to, to receive, to be lucky enough, hopefully to receive a liver. And some people are not in that fortunate circumstance. But it's a it's a very sad disease, and uh, it's it's tough on on everybody, tough on everybody around me, and it's kind of an invisible disease a little bit as well. It tends to, for the most part, you look and you look okay, but inside you just feel terrible all the time. People don't realize how important the liver is to your overall health. In fact, my liver doctor thinks it's more important than the heart, <laughs> of course, but, yeah. <laughs> because it, it filters the blood and uh, without your liver, it makes all of your other organs work extra hard. And it's a real balancing act every day about what I eat, what I put into my body, how much I'm going to the bathroom. I mean, it's all of those things become uber important and it really has just consumed my life at this point. How did you get here? How did I get here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's a, it was a long, it was a long process. You know, I, I had my first drink at a very young age, but, but I was a fortunate, I did not have an ordinary life by any stretch, but I had a, a very loving family and I don't have any trauma in my background that, tends to kind of go hand in hand with this disease. I was not a drinker in high school. I wasn't, I didn't party. I was a drinker in college, but college stuff. I never really thought about it unless we were out doing things. Mm -hmm. I think I first really picked up the bottle after, well, I'm, I'm currently divorced. Mm -hmm. um, I'm with a wonderful man, the love of my life, my support system now but my ex-husband, he's a wonderful man as well. Um, I got married and I think that, I don't know, my whole life I had been, what's the word? My persona was built in my career. I was a career woman. And when I got married and we decided to have children, uh, we decided that I was going to stay at home. Mm. And I think that that was probably a mistake for me uh, because the boredom set in. As much as I loved having that time with my kids, it's a very lonely place sometimes to have children and be with them all the time, 24-7. But I don't know. I mean, I, I just, it slowly started to snowball when I was about probably, you know, I, I dabbled in some, in some drug usage in my early 20s. Never really, always alcohol was my, my DOC. Mm -hmm. Always, but I, I did dabble in everything and, but never struggled with it. I think the alcohol really took over my life 
honestly, when my mother passed on September 27th of 2014, and my brother, my little brother, Adam, who also had cirrhosis of the liver and passed away from it, he passed away on December the 25th of 2014. So I lost my mom and my brother back to back. And if we had time, we could delve way into Adam's story too. He struggled, he struggled. And I didn't know at the time how to help him. I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't willing to admit it to myself that I was one as well. He, he recognized it in me. You know, he'd be like this. I see you, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And I, I would never, I was never willing to admit it to myself. And he struggled and struggled for many, many, many years. He died when he was 37. Yeah. Of end stage liver disease. And I think after mom and Adam, I really just, it spiraled out of control. I started drinking during the days. I was hiding it. I was forgetful, driving with my children in the car under the influence. I was doing things that I look back on now. And, you know, I I, I try not to carry shame with me, but I do, I do have a lot of, um, phew, like I... I don't know. I was fortunate that I didn't kill anyone or that I didn't hurt my children. I mean, and I don't know how I got to be so lucky, but when, when mom and and Adam died, it really went downhill. And I never, I never grieved. I never grieved my brother because my mother, I was grieving my mother. And then I never grieved my brother. And it really carried on for a lot longer than should have. I never, I never went for help. I should have, at the time looked for a therapist or found an outlet. And I just never did that. I just, in order to numb the pain, I think I was drinking myself to death, which in fact I was. (laughs) And then in 2018, well, actually in 2021 and 18, I, I decided I admitted it to my husband at the time and I showed him all my bottles and I remember that we went to, he took me to a a psychiatric ward and I spent five days there and quickly realized, and the psychiatrist as well, that that, that that was not the place I needed to be. I needed to be at a rehab facility. So that wasn't a detox at a psychiatric ward. That was, that's like what they did in the like twenties and thirties where they were like, you're Like they didn't know how to treat alcoholism. So they figured out that that was not where you were supposed to be. No, like they took my shoelaces. We didn't have shower curtains. um, We had guards. And, you know, I I wasn't in any danger to anybody else. (laughs) But um, we we just didn't know anything about the disease. And I I was clueless. Even going through all that with my brother, you think that I would have had some insight but I was just clueless to other people and their needs and that didn't work. So we kind of just covered it up for a little while Mm -hmm. and we ended up separating in 2018 because I wanted alone time to drink. Yeah. If I'm honest with myself. Yeah. And um, I bought my own place and we separated and the drinking got really heavy and out of control And then 
I met Greg in 2019 and I tried to hide it from him, but he was, he knew, I mean, how could you not know? People could smell it on we Yeah. We think that we are getting away with it because we're lying to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We're lying to ourselves. And and I, I don't realize now what a fool I made out of myself, but yeah, then I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, the story is so long. It's hard to, to, to pull out the facets that they're most important. The story is, it's so full. (laughs) I totally understand. I do. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um, so I, I started my, my real sobriety testing where I, where I, I recognized that I, that I was an, an alcoholic in, um, 2021 in October. And I went to rehab in inpatient rehab and successfully completed it. When I got out, my doctor did, I had some, some strange liver enzymes come up on some, on some blood tests Mm -hmm. and we did an ultrasound of my liver. And I was really concerned about my liver then. And the ultrasound came back clear Oh, so I took that as a blank page to start drinking again. The one thing that has become really important to me since I've been going through this journey is, is just making sure that people take their health seriously. The liver, it, there are signs. And if you think you have a problem with your liver, you probably do. I mean, you can oh. feel it. Or if you think you have a problem with your drinking, have your liver checked. Have your liver checked. And then if they tell you the enzymes are off or that you have a fatty liver and they just say, oh, just stop drinking. And then they'll just send you on your way. I mean, that's what they do for alcoholics. They don't, there's still this major stigma attached to being an alcoholic and having cirrhosis. They don't, they don't take you seriously. Because, because the reality is we don't take ourselves seriously. We go right back to doing what we were doing before and that's drinking. And if I had listened to that doctor who pointed out that my enzymes were off and that I just need to stop drinking, I mean, but he didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't say stop drinking or you're going to die. I took the, the clear ultrasound as a blank page, you know, like a caveat to go and just start again. And I did. Wow. Yeah. And then it got worse and worse. And I, you started to say really quick, you said that you, there are signs that you can feel them. Yes. Internally. Yes. Like yeah. what? Like when I got out of detox, my liver enzymes were in the high four hundreds. Okay. And then three months later, they were back in the teens. Right. Without, you know, with being away from alcohol for three months, my liver rebounded. Yes. So I, escaped that because I was on my way. Yes. And that's what's uh, the, the liver is such a, 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 like a cool organ. I mean, I've learned so much <laughs> through this process, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of a scientific girl. So I, I really enjoy, I don't enjoy, but that's what keeps me feel like I have some control is, is um, going through the education and, you know, all, all the, all the medical side of it. But the liver is remarkable in that it can repair itself. And if you, if you have damaged your liver and you stop doing what you're doing 
it can re-knit itself and be normal again. But once you hit a point where the scarring happens, and that's what cirrhosis is, it's just like a scar on your arm. It, it never, it can't repair itself. Mm-hmm. And then you might be functioning on 10% of your liver. And then when that 10% gives up, then you die. But some of the physical symptoms for me were um, I could feel, I could feel pain underneath my right hand rib cage on my stomach. I could f- literally feel my liver all the time. I, um, you can't, you don't walk around and say, Oh, I can feel my liver. <laughs> like I, I could literally feel it. Uh, when I would lay down on my stomach, uh, I would have like a bulge in my belly. So I had some ascites when I was first diagnosed. That's that fluid buildup in your, in your belly. And I was itchy a lot and bruising easily, really easily. For no reason, I would just look down and I had this huge bruise and I couldn't pinpoint why. Those were the, those were the first symptoms. I mean, they, they continue as you get deeper into the disease, but I was diagnosed uh, with cirrhosis in August of 2022. So just like a few months ago, really. And it's, it's just been a lot. It's been more than than I thought I could handle really, but I'm doing okay. Yeah. And I'm sure that changes from day to day, but. You know, it does. It, it, the one thing that I've taken from this is that I've been given a new opportunity and I don't know if that opportunity is a month. I mean, when I was first diagnosed, they gave me 18 months to live. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. And then, then we started talking transplant and that changed everything. And so in a way the cancer was a good thing and a bad thing because that kind of ups you on the list if you have cancer. And I just, I take every moment that I have now and even the mundane things that used to drive me crazy I, I try to find something in it that, that ha- brings me joy. Mm-hmm. I used to struggle a lot with boredom. I would drink when, when I was bored, I was drink when I was wanted to have fun. I was drink, I would drink to celebrate. I would drink to rent to, you know, if something was wrong, there was always a reason. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And now it, it's like, it doesn't even cross my, my mindset. Now the reality is I, I got sick. So that forced me into sobriety. I mean, I I had actually gone, I was sober when I got, when I got diagnosed and I was along that path, but I was still spotty. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd go for 30 days, then I'd go back to it. Then I'd go for like, you know, 15 days and I'd go back to it. Uh, But when I got sick, I mean, obviously they told me you're going to die. I I wish my story was different. I wish I could say, oh, I did it myself, but I didn't. I, 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 well, I did, but because I'm doing what I have to do to stay alive. But you still get that choice because you have personal experience where people, I mean, 
I, I don't know if your brother got the diagnosis and then continued to drink, but people take that route. So you're, they do. you're choosing to live today and you're yes. choosing to see the beauty in your life today. That, that's so true. And, and that's why I mentioned that earlier about the stigma with alcoholics. It, and it's true. It's because we tend to, and, and they see it all the time in emergency rooms, all the time. People come in, they get tapped or they get that paracentesis with the drain off their, the fluid off their belly. And then they go right back out and do it again. And they're back in the ER again the next week. And the doctor's would help them if they could, but they're not helping themselves. You have to want it. You have to want it. You have to own it. Mm -hmm. I, until I owned it, I was never willing to take ownership of it. And then when, when I started to share my story with people, I realized how freeing it was. Um, And certainly my social circle has gotten a lot smaller. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm a a middle-aged housewife in a suburban, you know, neighborhood. And I have all these perfect friends, Mm. you know, quote unquote. And nobody's really perfect. Everybody has something going on, but people don't like to shine the light on it. No. And, and that's been such a blessing for me is that you'd be amazed at the amount of people that have reached out to me separately, privately and said, I've been following your story. And I want you to know that I was drinking two, three glasses, a bottle of wine a night, and you've made me, you know, rethink that choice. And, and I I get it, you know, almost daily now, just from people out of the woodwork, whomever it is. And that's been, that's been a very uh, fulfilling thing for me. Yeah. Because people need to see that. It's not the person living, it's not just the the person living under the bridge or the person that, you know, is outwardly struggling or looks like a mess. Like it's, it can be any of us. Yes. And and my brother was that guy living under the bridge, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm the one that was like all appearances, you know, I was just carrying on with daily life, but I was together from the outside. Yeah, but I was a broken person inside and, and alcohol was, was killing me slowly. And I, I try to every moment just take a second to, to remind myself that this might be my last day. And every day holds so much significance now. And honestly, it should for everybody because, you know, you could walk out on the street and get into a car accident. I just happen to know that mine's coming sooner than, than other people. And I've been, I've been given a choice to either ignore it and and keep drinking or to own it. And I've decided to own it. And even if I can help one person to understand the importance of your health. And I mean, there's all the, the emotional and, that is important too, but the health side is just as important. And a lot of times that gets glossed over in, in a rehab type facility or in recovery. We don't talk enough about the medical side of things, what you're actually doing to your body when you drink alcohol. If you could see it, it would really, maybe that would hit home 
for somebody. Yeah, I learned a bit about it in, I did an intensive outpatient treatment, but I was still newly sober. So it just, you know, my brain wasn't functioning yet. And they said, your brain is not functioning while we give you this information because your body is this amazing thing that functions. And then when you add this poison to it, like you're, you're potentially damaging your brain and your liver and so many other things. So many other things. And it's such a nasty way to die. You just wither away. I mean, I, I feel like I'm 80 years old and I'm only 48. I mean, like all my joints hurt. I'm in pain all the time. You know, I can't get in and out of bed barely on my by myself anymore. For me to take a walk is a big deal. And I'm using all of my energy to keep myself alive and not able to... Um, extend any energy any other ways. And so now my life is full of some really special quiet time with the people that I care about the most. And when I was, when I was drinking, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember my, apparently I was a really fun mom. You know, we did. I know that we did these things. I was always the one doing and taking the kids places and doing fun things with them, but I don't remember them. And that for me, that's like, I, you know, we carry guilt. All of us carry guilt. And that's one I'm still working on. Yeah. And we're the roughest on ourselves. You know, other people are always willing to forgive us and give us grace. And, and we're the hardest on ourselves. I just, I can't imagine leaving my kids at 13 and 10. And knowing that their mama's not here, sometimes it it hurts so bad. But on the other hand, I'm given this this sobriety, this clear head, this ability to to see things now and to appreciate my little guy's hugs. And the other day, my daughter walked in the room and she just out of the blue, just walked in the room and gave me a big, huge hug and said, Mommy, I'm really proud of you. And then walked out. I mean, she knows my story. She's old enough yeah. to know what was going on. And I'm I'm hoping that I'm I'm gonna break that cycle for them because it run it ran in my family. I mean, it's a disease. It truly is. That is my goal is to break that cycle. I want my children to be strong and not to have to depend on alcohol in order to have courage or to hide things. Yeah. They, to be able to feel feelings and experience life and not feel the need to just check out from it. Right. And, and checking out is easy. It really is. And, but, but part of the feeling, I like feeling bad now in a way, like I, I'll take that emotion because it's an emotion Yeah, <laughs> and I'm feeling emotions and that's kind of fun. I mean, it can be a little much sometimes. But at least I'm feeling it. And when I'm looking for that excitement, I mean, that'll give it to me. Like if I think about what I what my journey may look like for the next two years, if I get a liver transplant, it's not going to be boring. No. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to feel every bit of it. And I'm going to be thankful for every moment that I have. I mean, I'm not giving up by any stretch. 
but I am taking, I mean, even the smallest things mean the most now. And I wish that everybody could have that opportunity and didn't have to, to be alone in it. It's such a lonely place to be. And you're surrounded by people, but you're lonely. Because you're, you're missing that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Miss connection and, and not being honest. I had to be 100% honest with myself and take ownership of all of the horrible things that I have done to people. And I don't consider myself a bad person. I did it because I wasn't making decisions that any sober person would make. No, I, I totally identify with that because, you know, I have a lot of wreckage. You know, there's a lot of mess that went along with my drinking and I just was stumbling through it. And a lot of people, you know, they say, well, you were doing your best or you weren't such a bad person, but it's like, I made choices that hurt people and hurt myself, but I don't dwell today. I share my story openly because, you know, like you said, I just want to be able to help one person. I want someone to, I want to hopefully help to where someone doesn't have to get to where you're at or where I went to that point of desperation and no other option. Like it doesn't have to get to that. It doesn't have to get to that. And, and, and I'm, I'm proof of that. I mean, who knew? I, I just assumed it would never happen to me where like, I've been so fortunate my whole life in so many ways. And, you know, you always think, ah, it's, that's that person, you know, who's asking for money on the corner. And in reality, that's not the way it is. There's so many yeah. Yeah. people who hide things and it could be, you know, the person down the street. It could be, it could be somebody that you see every day and all they need is that one person to tell them it's okay. You're okay. Yeah. You know, and, and I can help you with this. And I've, I'm still working on my own sobriety, but I see myself in the future reinventing myself. And, and I want to do something in the addiction arena. I don't, I don't know what that looks like because I'm not there yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I still have to, I, I need this time right now for me, <laughs> but I, I do, I am very, very honest on Facebook about my sobriety and it has driven a lot of people away, but I still know that they're watching, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And they people don't want to be associated it. with it. They don't want to be associated with it. And yet you see their post and they're um, every night it's, you know, they've got a drink in their hand and that's how I started. And then it just slowly evolved and slowly evolved because it's cunning as we know. Yeah. Cunning and baffling and powerful. And alcoholism is the only disease that tells you you don't have it. Yeah. And and it takes forever to get to the point. And until you own it, I mean, I'll say that over and over every, until I told the world it wasn't true in my head, I had to tell the world before it became true to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with the people that, that have gone. I mean, they obviously, I, I wish them the best and they're welcome to be back in my life whenever they want, but I just really, I prefer my, my little social circle, my kids, you know, Greg, <laughs> really my sisters, 
but it, I have a lot more fun now. I mean, I, I'll watch a movie now and, and not have to be drunk. <laughs> yeah. I would fall asleep in every movie. I could not make it through a movie before I was <laughs> knocked yeah. out. Yeah. And then wake up an hour later and start over and mm-hmm. think that you, you're sober again. When in fact, it's still coursing through your body. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I was dependent on alcohol to the point, like I was physically dependent. I could not function without fear of like a seizure or. Yeah. So you got seizures. Um, I didn't necessarily get seizures, but I got um, like severe withdrawal. So I was on my way to where my body would convulse, but I didn't go into full on seizing. But I mean, it wasn't just a shaky hand. It was a shaky body until I got a certain amount of vodka in me in the morning. Yes, I was the same way where I, in order to feel good, I had to, in order to feel normal, I had to have alcohol. Like to have a conversation like this, I had to, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't not drink. Yes, same, same. And I never had seizures, which is bizarre. And I never really had the huge belly or anything. But after when I, when I went in, um, I had quit drinking and I was sober maybe 21 days when I got diagnosed, I had full on jaundice. Like I was yellow eyes, yellow. And I'm, I'm still jaundice that the bilirubin that's in your blood, <laughs> it, it stays with you for a long time. It's very hard to get rid of. Um, and I run at a high level anyway, because my liver isn't working. So that's just the reality. I'm always going to have that yellow tint to me until I get a new liver. Yeah. When I got diagnosed and it's funny that it, all of the symptoms started really happening after I had gotten a little bit sober, but yeah. And I, I got admitted to the hospital then and I spent three nights and they were like, nobody's ever told you that you have cirrhosis before. And I was like, no. Hadn't you just had a clear ultrasound? Right. Yes just a year before that. And that's what I said. And they were like, well, I mean, clearly you've had this for a long time. I mean, your, your liver is gone. You don't have a liver (laughs) basically. And, and I, you know, I wasn't shocked because I knew and deep inside of me that, that I was sick. I could feel it in my body. We know our own bodies. I, I was masking it with alcohol pretending like it wasn't happening. And then it was like, it was almost a relief to find out because then I could formulate a plan. I'm very much a control freak. I like to do things the way I like to do them. And that might have been sort of what caused some of the alcohol too, is that, that I was always had so much anxiety about my children and and everything, my marriage and trying to be perfect for everybody and control things. And I gave up control with alcohol. And then when I got sick and they came to me and said, here's your problem. It gave me something else to focus on. And now I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very involved, very engaged in my own care. Probably my doctors think too much. So (laughs) Let them think that. But that's that's part of being getting on the transplant list is you have to prove to them that you're worth it. And everybody's worth it. But if you don't think you're worth it, then you can't convince anybody else. Yeah. So they're not going to consider 
consider you unless you show them that you're willing to put in the work. And I've been putting in the work. I, I eat like a rabbit <laughs> from the cancer. I lost about 60 pounds. I, I love how I eat. I eat well. I do crave sweets a lot. <laughs> oh. Quitting drinking. I, I, I eat so much sugar. So that's next. <sighs> yes. I'm not desperate and, enough yet, but yes. And I encourage you to get your liver looked at too. I mean, you may not want to know, but it's, I mean, with the, with the history, it's everybody should just, and then they take it seriously. If they say you have fatty liver, that is not a death sentence. You can, that's what's so remarkable about the liver is that it can renew itself. Sometimes just taking the drink out can completely repair it. Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be a combination of diet and a drink, and then you can go into compensated where you can live a very normal life just with some restrictions. Mine had gotten to the point where I have to be on meds in order for my body to do what it what it has to do, which eventually will affect my kidneys and my heart, and those will give out, and then that will lead to my death. So the liver is not a sexy organ like a heart, you know? <laughs> It should be though. It should be. <laughs> I think so too. The liver is sexy. <laughs> it, should it, it should be plastered everywhere, just like the pink ribbon. But it's not because of the stigma that's attached to it. And those are people out there that are hurting, and and they're like a, almost like a forgotten society. But we have to want to help ourselves. And that's and why I'm, I'm so loud about it, and I was so happy. Like I reached out to you immediately when I saw that you posted, you know, something in regards to what was going on. And I just said, Hey, like, I think you're like me. And if you're like me, like, I'm proud of you and I'm here. And it's like, we need to shine that light on those dark spots and just not make it such a taboo thing. Cause it's all of us. almost. Yeah. You know? I've been so inspired by your story. I mean, I, I follow, I follow your podcast and I mean, I think it's wonderful. It, it's, it really can happen and it, you can change people's lives. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, I'm changing people's lives. Like I'm some big stuff, but, but I do know that I have made an impact because I've had people reach out to me Yep, and that feels great. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Same here. It's like, it's not me. It's just knowing that I have had this experience and it was somebody else that I did that was like me, you know, she drank like me and she, you know, hit it like me and she partied like me. And then she came to me and said, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to check into a detox. I can't keep going. And that was the first time it clicked. And it was because it came from someone that I identified with to where I was like, oh man, well, if she, if she can do that, maybe I can do that. And I didn't want to quit forever. And I didn't want to go to AA. And I just wanted to get it under control. I just wanted to get a grip on it. You know? Yes. And then, you know, she did end up going back drinking. She's sober right now. But so she was able, but she still struggled. You know, she still had the back and forth with it since then. But that did her little seed of hope planted in my brain. And that's all I'm here to do is just shine a light and plant a seed to just go, Hey, if you ever feel like you absolutely can't stand which way you're going, like you can turn, you can shift gears at any time. You can shift gears and and you can try. 
I mean, it, taking small steps yeah. is progress. And not everybody is going to just decide and be sober and surrender it, and live it's not that ever easy. after now. And detox can be um, can be physically dangerous if you're if you're physically addicted to alcohol. Like I, I was, so I had a nurse friend say, "Do not detox at your home. Like just stopping can kill you." It it can kill you, and and that's how a lot of a lot of people do pass from from the disease. Unfortunately, it it can kill you, and and I actually had to have medical help as well to detox, and it still it didn't it didn't click the first time, it didn't click the second time. I had to go to rehab twice, <laughs> and then I had to be told that I was dying. Yeah. But every day is a new is a new step. And we can only do it one day at a time. So you got to take the day that you have. Yeah. And then what I wrote this down because this one has always stuck with me. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, we are one blink of an eye of being fully awake. Yeah, I love that. Who said that? Do you know? No, I don't, but I should look it up. (laughs) (laughs) I got it off my Calm app. So I have this app that's called the Calm app. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. I use Headspace, which is similar. Yeah. And I I like the Calm app, but we are one blink of of being fully awake. Clear space for all that awaits. And have hope that you you can change things. Slow and steady wins the race, like a little turtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. And I say that to myself often when I feel like I'm not where I want to be or where I think I should be. And I feel like should is one of the dirtiest words out there because right where I'm at is wonderful. And, and you're married now. <laughs> yes, happily. Happily. Yeah, I know. It's It's just wonderful to watch. I've been so excited for you. Yeah, it was quite the roller coaster getting to this point. So, <laughs> well, I know the feeling. Yeah, it's been following up. Now we're just waiting on on um uh, to see if the cancer is gone. I I go back for a follow up scan in March. I've had a couple of uh, procedures on that to get rid of the t- tumor. It's just a bridging technique. Liver liver cancer comes back. That's okay. what it does. Yeah, it doesn't ever go away. So we're just bridging and then I'm waiting on a new liver. And, you know, unfortunately it, it has to be somebody who's passed. So it's not, you know, something that I'm looking forward to, but, but if I'm, if I'm lucky enough, I will honor and treasure it and treasure that person for my whole life. I would never put anything into me that would, that would in any way disrespect the person who gave me the opportunity to live again. You make me glad that I'm an organ donor. I'm an organ donor. You should be an organ donor. Everybody should. Yeah. I mean, we're not taking it with us. No. I don't know if they would want anything of mine. (laughs) I'm just teasing. (laughs) (laughs) I used to say that, but yeah. Yeah. They'll use it something. (laughs) So you, you find out if you can even get on the list coming up soon, right? Yes. I've completed all the testing, which is not an easy process. 
it's they basically test if if you have something wrong with you they're gonna find it i mean and they test every part of you and it's funny i was looking at the results because you know nowadays you get your results sometimes before the doctor even can take a look at them and i was googling away all these like medical oh. terms like da, 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 all this uh in the second flange or whatever bit of ever blah 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 and then i was like i said greg i have arthritis in my big toe <laughs> 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 we were cracking up that was one of the findings and i was so scared i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh what is this i have arthritis <laughs> in my big toe <laughs> <laughs> so so there's that <laughs> i also have that um but they do a lot of testing and it's like two days of of the full day dexa scans lung functions stress tests all of the nine yards and then my particular transplant center requires six months of sobriety it, that can vary uh by the center that's a whole nother subject, but there's a lot of back and forth on whether or not that six months should even be there. But, but I see the reasoning behind it, but I also see the reason why people don't want it there because everybody deserves a chance. But they probably want to see your commitment to not ruining the blessing of another liver. Exactly. So I see both sides and I'm not willing to take a side on that one. Some people are very hardcore one way or the other, but um, I'm just doing, I'm keeping my head down and focusing on my health, on focusing on my sobriety, uh, focusing on my children, on my future, whatever that might look like, however, however long that may be, um, because it can, it can flip to in an instant. It, it's just because I'm feeling good today by uh, three o'clock this afternoon, I could be bed, in bed again like just completely exhausted. And I probably will be. These are really emotionally heavy talks. So yeah. And just physically too, it's your body um, just doesn't work like it used to. I mean, I used to work out regularly and things like that. I never considered myself a, a person who would sit around a lot. And unfortunately that's what I do now, but I, I like it and I'm okay with it. Cause I get to hang out with my dog. He's hanging out back there. Mine's hitting the door trying to get in. Yeah. I was afraid he was going to bark during this. <laughs> I'm so glad that you agreed to come on here and talk. You have an incredible story. There's just, I, I love you so much. You're so brave to share your story, especially like I haven't even had the negative, like you shouldn't be saying that or people turning away from me. But it just doesn't matter. Like you have the people that you need. Like you have your crew. I have my crew. And, you know, they talk in in rehab a lot about, you know, your circles and where they belong, which circle they're in. And I was I was going through some old notes from rehab before we got on this podcast. And it's funny, the people that I thought Mm. what circles they were going to be in. Like there, some of them are not even in a circle now, the yeah. people that I thought I was close to. And I have some sisters in sobriety that are really important to me and that I met through rehab and they're, you know, really close in the circle, even though we don't talk every day, they know that I'm there if they need to and, and vice versa. And that's really important. The relationships that you build through this process, 
Like I know that you and I will be friends forever now. And I don't, I don't know if that ever would have happened, Brandy, had we not shared this journey together. Yeah. I don't know. We would just be liking each other's Facebook things, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's a funny post or yeah. Uh The, The most important thing for me that I wanted to give out of this is that you need to take care of your body. And if you're not a spiritual person, which I I don't consider myself really a spiritual person, then maybe it's time to look at it, take it, take it and, and flip it around a little bit and look at it maybe from more of a medical perspective, because if the emotional side is not working for you, if it, if you're not, if you don't feel like you need to go, I don't have any trauma really. I mean, I knew I dealt with some grief and stuff, but I think mine more came from just, I don't know, but I, I, when I flipped it and I started looking at it from a medical perspective, it really piqued my interest. And then it became a labor of love, Mm -hmm. Uh, learning about the disease and wanting to share with people the importance of, of getting checked and taking what the doctors say seriously, because they're not going to tell you you're going to die. They don't do that. But the reality is you're going to die if you don't stop drinking. It might be now, it might be in 30 years, but cirrhosis, it's going to get you. If <laughs> I don't mean to scare people, but you really have to scare people because it's the truth. And, and, it, and it's a killer. And it's not, it's not a nice way to go. It's not soft or peaceful or. No, it's pain. It's painful and it hurts and it hurts everybody around you. And if you're lucky enough to have a caregiver, which I am, I mean, I pray for him all the time. Think, you know, about what, what he's going through, having to take care of me and see me like this. I'm like a shell of what I used to be physically, but mentally I'm so much bigger now. So that's really what I, I, I wanted is to get out of this was just to, to the word of caution yeah, of what it can do, what it, it's doing to your body and to pay attention to it. Well, I'm definitely going to make a doctor's appointment now. <laughs> I appreciate your message so much because I feel like so many of us have that idea that it, will happen to somebody else and that it's not going to be us. But if you drink regularly, your body is going to do with that what it does. And you don't get a say whether you don't think it's that much or you don't think you're doing damage. Mm -hmm. And there are other things that can go on too with the liver behind the scenes that if, if you have certain disorders and that's a whole another rabbit hole, but um, if you have certain disorders, if you drink, your body is not as good at processing. And so it it compounds. So even if you're not drinking as much as say an alcoholic, even if you're just like a social drinker, you can get cirrhosis. Mm. You can get cirrhosis from being overweight. It's what you're putting into your body. It's how well your liver is functioning. And alcohol is the main culprit of killing the liver, but eating too much salt is very bad for you as well. And there's a lot of autoimmune disorders and genetic disorders that can affect the liver as well. So, and I'm 
I'm, I know, know all those things about myself, but most people don't know all these very out there autoimmune diseases or things that you never would get tested for regularly. But if you, even if you drink occasionally, it'll compound and start affecting your liver and, and you could not be an alcoholic and, and have cirrhosis. But most people think it only goes with alcohol, but it doesn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. I completely uninformed. I so focus because I'm such an emotional and spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I focus on that soul sickness and like, you know, feeling mm-hmm. the hole in my heart. But I, I, I experienced that from a young age. So I love hearing, you know, the other side of it because it's so true. Like if you don't identify with that part of self, then definitely look at your health. What we do. (laughs) But I had a psychiatrist in rehab once who he told me, he said, you're, I can tell you're not, I wrote it down because it it made me laugh when he said it. He said, I tell you, you're not the the kind of person who has sudden and profound spiritual awakenings. You're of the educational variety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he handed me a book about this thing. And he said, read this. Yeah. And it was like all these diagrams and medical stuff. And I was like, Ooh, and I spent my whole time in rehab, like reading that book while other people were writing their stories. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I still call that doctor uh, on every month of my sobriety and I leave him a message and I say, I don't know if you remember me, but I think you were, you played a big part in my sobriety. <laughs> yeah. Cause he had your number. He did. <laughs> he was exactly like me. He mm-hmm. was not of the, of the, you know, spiritual awakening type. <laughs> yeah. He was the behind the scenes <laughs> and it worked for me. So maybe it'll work for you. <laughs> I love that. Can you tell me what's your sobriety date? Just cause I want to celebrate it also. My sobriety date is seven fifteen twenty two. That's awesome. I thank you so much. This has been so awesome. It's been fun. Yeah. It I was not, it. not too scary. It turned out way better than I could have imagined. Not scary at all, really. That means we we'll have to do it again it. down the road in a couple months. <laughs> I just worry about physically how I'm feeling and, and coming across right now. Yeah. But you um, seem but, great. I would never know if I didn't know. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So thanks. thank you. Thank you. We're going to do an update. Okay. Whenever you're comfortable, you can just let me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. And um, I'll let you know, even on, obviously on message, on uh, if I maybe if I find out if I can, if I qualify for a liver on Wednesday. I would love that so much. <laughs> that's been that's been in the works for about five months now. So it's funny, that's my sobriety date. Wednesday. Oh, it's the 15th. Yes. Yeah. So my seven months. So maybe I'll get good news. And if I don't, that's okay. Yeah. I'll formulate another plan and I'll put my head down and I'll work towards that. Cause that's what works for me. Got to find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great note to end this on. Thank you again, Rachel. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brandy. Oh my gosh, you guys, that was so much. I love Rachel so much. And the fact that she was willing to come on here, she was willing to tell us her story I really want to hammer home that, you know, you don't have to have trauma. You can be the mom next door, recognizing that our drinking is 
is reaching a point of being a problem if it's impacting our lives. And also those health screenings that Rachel talks about. I definitely am guilty of avoiding those like the plague and waiting until there's something wrong. And I'm glad that Rachel was here to remind us to not wait until it's too late to get checked on. And also the educational variety. Not everybody is a feeling spiritual woo-woo kind of being. I know I am. I know that works for me. Educating yourself on what's happening to your body and acting accordingly once you have that information. It could change your life. It could save your life. I do want to give an update. Since the recording of this episode, Rachel has gotten some news And she is on the liver transplant list. And now it's just a matter of waiting. So I was really excited to be able to tell you guys that her story's not over. I can't wait to update you down the line and let you know where she's at and how she's doing. I want you all to know that you matter, that someone does care. And there are people who have been there and we know what it's like. And we're willing to just listen and offer you support and the tools that that we have under our belts so if you're struggling please reach out your life is worth it and life is beautiful on the other side so please keep swimming and if you're thriving keep going keep shining your light i thank you all so much for listening until next time 